You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of the Buffalo Happy Hour. We are here again with another special interview for you today. Yes, we are. So we'll start with introductions and then we'll dive right into all the fun-filled topics that we'll go over today. Um, But we're enjoying this uh, interview just because we have a subject matter expert, for lack of better terms. Because I know there's letters that are essentially after your name, but I'm not like 100% on what those are. So... Uh, we'll start with your introduction, and then we'll dive right into the questions that we have. All right. So I'm Christina West, and I'm a speech-language pathologist. Um, I've been practicing for about almost four years now, and the letters after my name <laughs> are MS-CCC-SLP. So it's a little long. So What does that even stand for? <laughs> so it's your degree, and then like... I'm licensed, and then SLP is speech language pathologist. So that's just what that means. So, so the CCC is the license. Yeah. So it stands for what you earn when you go to grad school. It's your certificate of clinical competence. So when you go through grad school, you have to meet all these requirements, and if you meet them, and then you have to practice for a year, and then if you meet everything, then uh, the national like organization will grant you your certificate, so you can be you know, practice for real and have a license. So was that a stressful process? Like what was the education and the certification process like? Oh gosh. Yeah, it was (laughs) stressful. (laughs) Um, let's see. So you don't get in automatically. You have to apply. So just because I went to undergrad for speech does not mean I get into grad school for speech. So you have to apply. And I think it took me three years to get in, to be accepted to a program. And then, um, yeah, it's like sprinting a marathon for two years and you don't get the summer off. So you probably, <laughs> when doing school in the summer is the worst, like it doesn't matter who you are. So yeah, then you uh, graduate and then they're like, okay, you passed your board exam, you passed all your classes and you have to um, acquire so many hours that you're supervi- supervised of doing clinical work. So once you have that and then you have to practice for a year and it has to be documented you have to have another speech path um, supervise you doing your work in the field for a year and then you have to submit everything 
you have to sign off on it, obviously, and then you get it back and they're like, okay, you are good to go. You can apply for your state license because every state, of course, has different license requirements. So New York is different from Florida, California, et cetera. So then you submit all of that and you get that back. Um, and then if you want to teach in a school, you have to have your teaching certificate as well. So, oh my God. Is that just for New York, the teaching certificate, or is that anywhere? Um, I don't know if it's, it's definitely all in New York. Sure. Um, and you have to, just like a teacher, you have to pass certain tests. Otherwise, if you don't pass them, they won't give it to you. So just like a teacher, I have to pass the requirements as well and also be a speech path too. So it's like two in one if you want to be able to teach in a school. So, wow. Yeah, that's insane. We've yeah, never talked lot. about this. So, no, we haven't. <laughs> so you work in a school district, correct? So you did. I do, used to. You used to. Okay. Yeah. So now, are you just kind of like running your own practice? I guess. I'm trying to do both. I'm trying to. So I'm in, right now. I'm an. I am an itinerant therapist. So what that means is I travel. So I go to kids' houses, I go to daycares, um, wherever that kid is that I can accommodate their speech session. So I drive wherever I have to for my caseload for the kids that I have. Um, and then that's what I do right now. So, and I, I like it because I can see kids one-on-one -on -one, and I think that is a huge benefit. Um, and then I'm also starting my own private practice because I wanna just work for myself and have my own business. So, um, and I feel like four years is, you know, I'm get, I have a ton of experience working with lots of different types of kids. So I feel like I can kind of handle the therapy part. Now it's just figuring out the business part of True. it too. So. so in regards to the therapy part, um, is it more or less helping someone physically speak or is it also helping them cope with the fact that they're struggling with speaking? Oh, I feel like that's a loaded question. <laughs> I think it's both because uh, it just depends on the kid. So some kids have a motor problem, like their motor plan in their brain. They need to be explicitly taught certain sounds, like they're missing sounds from their repertoire. Mm -hmm. So you have to teach that motor pattern to them in order to have like, you know, the K or the G sound um, that they're missing. Uh, and the other part of it is too, like you have some kids who have cognitive deficits going on too. So you're also working on getting them to express more. And then you also have the behavior component as well. So, and kids, like the kids that I see are from, uh, I think the earliest I've seen is 15 months to five years old. And any kid that's struggling to communicate when they're that little is gonna have behavior problems too, you right. know? So it's just, you're like, it's a big ball of like twine and you're trying to pull it apart and figure out, you know, okay, I'm gonna address their speech and communication deficits. Oh, but they're having behavior problems too because they can't communicate. So it's just trying to bridge that gap and working with families and parents and trying to work on weaknesses with kids and then trying to like improve their skills to be better communicators and fill those gaps in what they need in order to, you know, be successful in school, be, you know, more helpful at home and not have meltdowns. So it's a wide array of what we can do to help kids. Like me, I see kids. So me, like to help kids talk better and speak better and communicate better. What type of 
speech issues do 15 month old have because i feel like that's just you just don't know how to talk yet <laughs> um it depends <laughs> so you have kids that uh like typically around a year kids should be having their first words so it comes around 15 months they're not really talking they should have so many words um and then they get evaluated so then they're like okay they're falling behind like the population of kids at this age group you know let's have services come in and work with that child to improve their expressive vocabulary and their understanding um so that they can you know be at that milestone that they need to be at uh it also depends on if your child is diagnosed with you know down syndrome or is born with some sort of deficit that they need support with like if a child is born with a cleft lip you know or palate that's like surgery intervention and then you're coming in to do swallowing and speech with that child too so it just it really just depends on the kid honestly is that more difficult to work with somebody who is that young where they can't really grasp these concepts or is it easier to work with because they're not fighting back with you <laughs> i think uh it depends what you're working out with sure. them so I like working with little kids because it's a lot of play therapy. That, that's how you get them to work on skills. It's a lot of play therapy and it's not very direct intervention too. Like you can't tell a kid, hey, say X, Y, and Z. It doesn't work like that. So you have to do more indirect therapy strategies like modeling play and modeling certain words to them. And you can use sign. I use sign a lot too and visuals. So you're giving them a lot of support outside of to help them communicate and use those expressive language skills so you're kind of facilitating really i ex explain it to parents you're doing about 90 percent of the work trying to get your child and you're just creating opportunities for them and you're exposing you know them to vocabulary and modeling so that they can watch how you speak and what you do and um it's just it's a lot of like i said indirect things that you can implement at home that i don't think are difficult it's just you have to think therapeutically and that's where i come in to try to coach parents how to do that so you're not only coaching the kid on how to properly enunciate or get words out you're coaching the parents on how to correctly deal with them and continue fostering that even after you leave oh yeah okay. so the way New York State is set up, so we're talking about little kids. So I'm talking like birth to three, under three. That's early intervention services. So that falls under the New York State that funds services for kids. So there's only X amount of dollars in this budget. So there are some kids I see only one time a week. That's 30 minutes. That is not enough time. So it's imperative that you work with parents, say, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is how you can implement it at home or, you know, just give examples any way that you can, because it's just 30 minutes. 30 minutes is a blip on right. your radar for the week. So and I think it's important, too. You have to build those communication expectations into your daily routine. So, like, you know, your kid can feel comfortable in their environment, but also you have to know when to push them to try and teach them how to communicate as well. That's crazy. So <laughs> have you ran into kids or, I, I mean, yeah, kids, I guess everybody's a kid at that age, where their brain works faster than their mouth, so problems arise from that? 
because I feel like I still struggle with that. Or I, I talk way too fast because I'm trying to keep up with my brain. Do you see that with kids, where it's something that can be prevented as a child before they reach an adult, and then people just kind of, like, lock up and freeze mid-conversation? Uh, I... I think I kind of see it in reverse in the way that you're talking. So there's something Mm -hmm. called auditory processing disorder. And that's what I think about when you're saying that. So that is being able to take what you're hearing, process it, process it appropriately so that you're understanding it and then coming up with a verbal response to it. So I know when I worked um, with middle school kids, I saw this quite a bit. It takes time for kids, especially when they've been diagnosed with a disability to especially when they're sitting in a classroom they have to take in all the information coming to them understand it save it in their brain and then do something with it so that's called your working memory so i think i see a lot of that where kids struggle as they're getting older to work on those language skills to help you and help them in the classroom and be able to speak effectively and communicate effectively that way Um, So it's almost like there's a delay. So you work on strategies to strengthen their memory skills and their language skills to help them be successful. And it's not just at school. When they graduate, they go into the workforce, right? They go get a job. So you want them to have those skills in the real world, Mm -hmm. too. So talking about classrooms really quick, we normally try to stay away from COVID because everything is just we don't like to bring it up. But part of COVID is teachers wearing masks in school and kids primarily learn language by watching lips move, correct? So what is what is the issues that arise when we are fostering this environment of not being able to look at the person's lips when they're talking? Does that have potentially an issue coming down the road? It's so funny that you're saying this because I literally just read a statement from ASHA. So ASHA is the American Speech Language Hearing Association. So they're the ones that give me like my credentials at the end of my name, okay? So they just came out with a statement that said, uh, after there's not enough research to support this finding that masks harm kids from uh, being able to improve their speech skills, right? Because they can't see your face. and. I don't know. I don't haven't seen the research, so I can't say yes or no, obviously, on that. But if I'm working on speech sounds with a kid and they can't see my mouth and I'm trying to teach them how to like motorically make that sound. Yeah, obviously, it's going to impact them. And I think the other thing, too, is, you know, when you're in a classroom, especially for older kids, that social aspect, you're totally missing your facial expressions and the emotion because speaking, especially like when you're having conversations with people, you rely, 80% of it is your body language. So they're missing part of that because they're not seeing your face. Um, And I think it's funny because when I have little kids for therapy, I'll take my mask off and I'll have my face shield on and they'll like look at me for a couple of seconds because they have never seen my whole face, you know, for the first time. So it's interesting. Um, I don't think there's a black or white answer for that, but I don't know. I don't Hmm. think, I don't think it helps. I'll say that. I feel like they're referencing one to three potential studies and negating real-world practical applications and experience because there's only so much you can get from a study, but at the end of the day, someone on the ground dealing with kids and seeing their reactions to certain things, whether it's a therapy, um, what's, what's the word I'm thinking of, like a 
a way of doing something mm-hmm. for therapy, like an indirect way of doing therapy, you're going to see yeah. that kid's reaction. Like you mentioned with the mask, they're like, oh, that's what you look like. Or it's like, oh, you actually physically moving your lips help me because I can monkey see, monkey do. So that's not part of the study. You know what I mean? So I know. Yeah. And imitating is like, especially for little kids, imitating you is such a big skill that kids need to be able to develop when they're little. So, and I remember when COVID first started, kids were wearing masks and I'm wearing a mask. And I'm like, how, I don't know how this is supposed to work. Like I had no idea. And then eventually like kids don't keep their masks on, like especially little kids. And then if they were real little, they didn't have to wear one. So I was like, okay, I can work on what I need to do as long as I can see what they're doing. I can coach them through it. So. So you briefly mentioned earlier swallowing. Do you do like that stuff too, or was that just kind of uh, like r- related to speech in some way? Uh, I have done it. I haven't done it in about a year since I left school. Okay. So, sw- so the swallowing skills come under my scope of practice as a speech pathologist. So, I always wanted to go back and do this in grad school. They're called modified barium swallow studies. So I did a rotation at Mercy Hospital and it's, I think it's like the coolest thing. It's just like an x-ray. So basically someone comes in, they were mostly adults, uh, and you feed them different textures of food, like a couple of bites um, and different textures of liquids. And then you watch it, you watch them swallow on an x-ray. So it's like a moving x-ray and it's the coolest thing (laughs) ever. And I really nerded out, but I mean, it is neat to see that. And uh, it addresses, you can see your swallowing mechanism and you can see your food go into your um, throat and then, you know, down into your stomach. So I just thought that was the coolest thing. But yeah, I have worked with kids um, for swallowing. And when you think of swallowing, it all starts with what's on your plate and how you're feeding yourself and then how you're chewing it and then how you're swallowing it. So it's a whole step process that you look at when you work with people um, that need support with eating. Um, so I always say speech path deals with everything like from here, like your throat and up basically. So I've tried to swallow like four times since you started that sentence and I'm pretty sure I'm doing it all wrong. But the, <laughs> so like you're not doing it all wrong because <laughs> you would know if you were doing it wrong. You would be like coughing. <laughs> but I, I just, I guess I just don't understand how you teach somebody how to swallow. Like it just seems like, for me, obviously, I don't have a problem with it, so I wouldn't really understand how well, to make you. that connection. Yeah, I know, really. But, like, that seems just like such an automatic motor that Skill. You, yeah, you would just have. I don't even know how you would give that to like somebody. Breathing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, it's wild. Uh, you, it's a lot of compensatory strategies. So, it's a lot of thinking about what you're doing before the swallow happens. So, like i i guess i can connect it for you in the sense that say someone has a stroke or a traumatic brain injury and it affects like their cranial nerves in their um in their head so basically your cranial nerves innervate into your uh your throat muscles and everything so let's say your stroke affects one of those cranial nerves okay so now let's say you're um, paralyzed on the left side and you can't if you swallow food on the left side of your throat then basically that side of your body doesn't work so it could go into your airway so they're called compensatory strategies so you can like turn your head and it'll close off that side of your swallow so food doesn't go into your airway 
because we want to prevent food going into your airway because then that causes pneumonia if you have food in your lungs like that's no no point no so yeah it's a lot of compensatory strategies and say for example like some food like thin liquid moves the fastest so if you're giving someone thin liquid and it's passing too fast for them like their epiglottis doesn't close fast enough it'll go into their airway and you don't want liquid in your airway either so you can do like a chin tuck basically this is just a lot of examples so what a chin tuck does is it brings your swallow down and it takes longer for you to eat then so it slows the movement of your food down so it doesn't pass into your airway if your like epiglottis has been affected from a stroke or a brain injury those are just the two examples i'm giving you mm-hmm. so that it doesn't pass into your airway and it goes into your esophagus so there's a lot of strategies like that and there's you can modify your diet too you just don't eat thin liquids anymore then you know so there's a lot of a lot of strategies that you can do in terms of feeding and swallowing my grandpa's doing that now they had to thicken his liquids because he had a stroke and then his throat valve is all messed up so they had to basically put powder in his coffee they had to thicken his water like it's so interesting because i was like what is this and they're like it's water but it's milk but it's like powdered Thick milk, liquids. cream. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> and even my grandpa, because like he's, you know, he's still spry, right? So he's sitting there and he's like, Ugh. and he just has this look on his face, like I, this is the last thing I want to do right now. And I'm like, this is awful. But yeah, it's, I didn't know the chin tuck thing. I just knew they just thickened liquids, and they're like, just keep chugging along, like you're doing good things. But when you mentioned the the moving X-ray the people that are involved in that study, do they have a swallowing issue and that's why they're being x-rayed so that you can properly diagnose a potential solution or could Derek and I just volunteer for the study where we just eat and drink things for a day because I'm I'm ready. Yeah, can I recommend pizza and wings? (laughs) (laughs) That would be really cool to see. It doesn't matter what you eat. It just looks like a ball of mush going down. (laughs) So you can eat whatever you want. Uh, No, I don't think you can just volunteer for this study, even though that would be awesome. (laughs) Uh, It's basically the modified barium swallow study is, uh, let's say I'm seeing someone at a hospital and I notice that they're coughing or they're choking when they're eating certain textures. Uh, And that's called a bedside evaluation. So let's say I can't, quite figure out what's going on or why this person's coughing or choking, I would recommend them for this study. So then it can be, you know, further diagnosed what is actually happening when they swallow. So that's fascinating that you would even be involved in that. I had no idea that your position can include that. Yeah, yeah, we we have a lot of stuff we can do. So I always say, like, if I get real bored working with little kids and I can always just go work with adults and do something else. So, yeah, when so the most common type of speech, I I can't talk. So clearly this right now. Yeah, like, yeah, coming from a podcast (laughs) host, we're probably two people you should work with instead of just have a conversation with. But yeah, speech impediments, I think you were trying to say you have stuttering lisps. And like, what else are common, and what what causes stuttering and lisps? Because I feel like those are the two most. I'm super self conscious about my asses right now, but I feel like those are two most common speech impediments, right? It's fine. I already judged you. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have a report by nine o'clock. Today. Yeah, yeah. She's not <laughs> kidding, by the way. I don't want to do more paperwork, please. <laughs> um, the most common. 
Man, I don't know if there's a most common. I think the the kids that I see, there's two different kinds of speech sound disorders. And I think those are the more frequent ones when people think of speech, that's what they think of. Um, I don't think stuttering is not as relevant as you might okay. think it is. So um, there, I, there is no answer why someone stutters, why doesn't. There's no like cause for it. There's, you know what I mean? There's just nothing that, to support why one person has it and one person does it. Um, hmm. But they have, there are studies that say that it is more prominent in boys. So I don't know. Um, and then I think the other thing for speech sound disorders, I, there's a couple of different things. The two that people, um, the two that people think about the most is like articulation. So being able to produce a sound accurately. And then there's a phonological um, disorder, which is patterns which I think is a, has really stumped me a lot over the years in figuring this out So in, with different therapy approaches. So let's say, for example, a child has all the appropriate speech sound productions for all their sounds, but says it in the wrong part of the word hmm. or substitutes that sound for another sound. So that's like phonological. So that's something in your brain that has not been like teased out. So it's a pattern-based disorder where we have to go in and teach the sound pattern to that child and remediate that sound pattern so that their speech is intelligible. So um, is that kind of like what Hooked on Phonics is where they use sounds to try to teach you how to read? No, that's different. It is. So that is that's letter sound recognition. So that's a different ball wax. I'm talking about like just being able to produce the word correctly. You're talking about more literacy reading based strategies. Okay. So there are some people that change how a word sounds in their head and it doesn't come out correctly. So they'll flip, um, we'll, we'll say thank you as an example. The TH, they might put at the end of that word for thank. They'll just say like angth, I guess. Like they'll literally flip the whole word when they try to pronounce it. Is that a thing? I think that's from Game of Thrones. Isn't that the... <laughs> yeah, like in Old English. <laughs> but is that something that happens with kids? Where they will just change You're how thinking. they pronounce it? You're thinking on the right track, yeah. Um, I want to, like, follow you for a day and just be like, okay, go to work, and I'll just, like, be a fly on the wall and then just hear some of the things that you have to experience. Because from your standpoint, you don't necessarily have these, like, lack of better terms, deficiencies or struggles when you speak or read or swallow or eat or do, like, anything collarbone up. So to diagnose it, and then know what the actual solution is to their problem has got to be staggering just because you what if that person comes to you with what somebody else said and then you have to sit there and use your expertise and your own degree and your own knowledge and say eh, that person was kind of on the right track but they're wrong and we're going to focus on this and then kind of you know go about it this way and then if you are right then you look like a hero like is that a delicate balance you have to go through uh, yes and no. There are most of the time with 
The process for diagnosing a speech disorder or whatever it might be um, comes typically from a professional like myself doing some sort of evaluation. And when they get the eva- you do the evaluation, then you say your findings on that evaluation. So what I like to do is I typically read the evaluation report because I'm not in the room for some for every kid that gets evaluated. When I used to work at school, I used to do the evaluating, which was great because I could evaluate, I could make my recommendation, I knew how to implement therapy and it was quick and very simplistic for me. But I don't do that now. I don't evaluate kids in my current itinerant therapy positions. So I have to take what is given to me. And I typically, I mean, I will read the report, but I like to see kids first before I read the report so I can come up with like my own opinion of what I think they really need. And then I can go back and say, oh yeah, I noticed all of these things. Okay, cool. We're on the same track. Let's keep going. Uh, But you can also think of it like a mechanic, basically. You can get any kind of car in your shop. It could be a Porsche to a Chevy to, you know, an old jalopy. And you have to figure out, okay, I have, now I got to run diagnostics. I got to figure out what's wrong. Now that I know what's wrong, I got to figure out how to fix it. And am I always successful in fixing it? Nope. You try something else. It's a trial and error. Um, And then, you know, sometimes you can't fix it. Mm -hmm. And then it has to go to someone else. So it's just a lot of I, I'm a trial and error person. That's how I like to do therapy. I like to try anything and then I'll see what sticks and then I'll just go with that for a while. And then if I feel like that kid is burned out from trying that or I'm burned out from doing that therapy or playing with that toy, then we'll try something else. So whatever, for me, it's always what's in best interest of that kid and what will that kid show me if I do X, Y, and Z. I'm sure it varies based off of kid and situation, but what is your normal trial period where you're like, we're going to try this method for three weeks or we're going to try this method for six months? Is there a typical or is it really every person's different? Uh, Every kid is different. Every person's different. Uh, I'll try something for like I had a little girl. I was working on her on one sound with her and I was working on it with her for weeks got nowhere so I was like you know what we're going to take a break from that you have other things we can work on let's try that instead Uh, so I think it just depends on what you're doing and if that kid is showing progress or not or is giving you any sort of and progress can be it doesn't have to be like from a sound to a word to a sentence it can be okay we said this sound right one time this session let's see if we can get it right two times next session so it's very like you baby step things depending on the kid just to make any sort of show you what they can do in terms of progress so what's an example of a sound what do you mean an example of a sound like if you're working on a sound with a little boy like what what would an example be where they said it correctly in a session uh, so let's say we have a kid that says tar instead of car. So, and they don't have the k sound. So I'll work, oh. this is for an example. So I will work with this kid on trying to develop that k sound. So there's different techniques. So you can open your mouth. And typically if that kid is saying tar instead of car, that means their tongue tip is coming up to the roof of their mouth to say tar and you want them to get their tongue tip down. So I'll tell them they have to keep their mouth open and tilt their head back to keep that front tongue tip down and try and say car, because you don't need your tongue tip up to say the k sound back here. 
And that's just one example. Uh, some kids can't do it. So then I'll take, um, you can take like a tongue depressor or floss or something to hold that front part of that tongue down so they can get it correctly back here. And that's just one part of it. Depending on the kid, I might have to start way behind that and teach them, okay, the sound comes from here. Let's practice touching here first so that you know that's where that sound comes from. And I have a mouth model and I have a mirror and it's just a lot of, you're trying to teach a little kid a lot of things that is difficult for them. So you wanna give them as much support as you possibly can. Are there any people that just aren't able to do stuff because that's just how they are? Like someone, like you were talking about cleft lip. That's not a good example because you can work around a cleft lip, but like some biological issue with the way that their mouth is constructed or their throat is constructed that they're just not able to do it and there's nothing that you can do Ooh, that's a tough question that's a tough question i always think that there's something that you sure. can do uh and you know it doesn't have to be a clear sound you can always just get it close you can use other sounds to support your other sounds. So if a kiddo is missing one sound, use vowels and sounds to get them as close as they can to that target sound. So you approximate that sound instead of saying it clearly. Because and if that's as close as they're gonna get, then that's as close as they're gonna get. But there's always something that you can do to help them with to be either more intelligible so you can understand them better or to say the first part of a word and not worry about the rest of the word it, so at least you know what they're asking for depending on their disability wow is there like a catch-all where if somebody can't like derek's example physically do something they can always just sign yeah so actually this is one of my <laughs> i wish i could still did this when i was working at school i worked with some kids that had uh communication devices and I really miss doing this because I love technology. So let's say I had a bunch of kids in one classroom uh, that, and some of them had like Down syndrome, autism, et cetera. So they were pretty severe in terms of their need for communication skills. So they were, and this is middle school. So they're kind of past the point of like really developing their speech sound repertoire. So I have some kids that have this device. So you're really focusing on teaching them how to communicate with this device just because their verbal words um, are limited in their verbal expression or and they just don't have the motor um, skills in order to produce words. So you work with them with a communication device and you teach them uh, context and where the words are located and how to have conversations. So it's really, honestly, if you're teaching them to use it with a device, it's kind of the same principles that you're using to teach them how to make the sound with their mouth. So. The therapy concepts are similar, but it's two different ideas. The the device that people, I don't even, I haven't seen one in very long time, but where you put it up to your throat when you're unable to actually speak, but it like reverberates off your vocal cords and it comes out kind of like, what is that? And how does that work? Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know yeah, what it's called. But, like what yeah, smokers use? Yeah. Like those commercials we grew up staring where they just like hold their throat. Yep, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I haven't done it since grad school, so now the word is escaping me. But yes, I know what you're talking about. So it's like a microphone almost, and they put it up to your mouth, 
and we had to do this for a project in grad school. You had to read in front of the whole class using one of these. Oh my goodness. Why can't I think about, why can't I not think of the word? It's because I haven't done it. That's okay. So, and then you had to, uh, obviously you practice. So you had to think about exactly how you were enunciating your words so that you could be understood by your audience. So yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I feel like that's more for people like what you said who have smoked or like have some sort of uh, difficulty with their vocal folds that have been impacted in some way. How do you, do you deal with like damaged vocal cords at all? So funny story, last year I sneezed and I held in a sneeze and I burst in my throat. It was oh, the worst no. experience of my entire life. I never knew like not to do it. I just thought that your eyes are going to come out. That's the myth that I was told <laughs> when I was younger. <laughs> like if you sneeze with your eyes open, you're going to burst an eye vessel or whatever. But when I did that, I held in a sneeze and I couldn't talk for like three days because I think I burst or damaged some sort of vocal cords. Do you deal with people that are stupid like me and hold... No, I'm just kidding. But do you deal with people <laughs> that have damaged vocal cords and it's just like, let's try to strengthen them up or how do you fix vocal cords oh man i just threw like so, 12 questions at you at once so i'm sorry yeah it's okay you guys are <laughs> a lot of topics i personally do not work with people who have had like vocal cord damage okay. or vocal damage but we that is under our scope of practice so there are speech paths who specialize specifically in this so uh you have different layers of your vocal folds if you look um you can Google images and you can see like a top view of your vocal folds and you like singers get nodules all the time. Um, yeah. Like Miley Cyrus. She sounds like a man. <laughs> I don't know what her vocal folds look like. Yeah. Like, no, I mean, you've heard her. It like, doesn't make sense. She's like, Oh yeah. My throat's destroyed from singing well, from the, the time I was a kid. And now like my, they're just shot. Yeah. And Gina tells me cause she loves Adele. And her, like, she can't tour or something anymore because her vocal folds are shot. Yeah, Justin Timberlake had to postpone his his show in Buffalo because his vocal cords, and he was sick, and he's like, I, I physically can't sing. I'm like, what do you do, drink tea? Like, and then just slam honey? Like, how do you fix that? Like, that's just... <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you don't talk, and you drink a lot of water, so you want to hydrate your vocal folds. So that's why you drink a lot of water and you want to stay away from like caffeinated products. So anything that's going to dehydrate you, you want to stay away from. Uh, and then for someone, those singers uh, who could, who can't talk and have had to cancel things, it's serious. So to the point where they might need surgery. So I'm sure that they are seeking professional help to the point where to avoid surgery. Because, man, you don't want to have surgery on your vocal folds, especially when you're a singer. So yeah. So there's, what, a, there's a whole other ball of wax, yeah. So do you know like what actually happens? Is it swelling of the vocal folds, or are they like rupturing? What's actually happening? I feel like you're just for a singer there. So when you talk, so if these are your vocal folds. Your vocal folds vibrate, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're singing, they're vocal. They're vibrating more, especially. And if you're changing different pitches, so when you change your pitch, your vocal folds will elongate longer, and they'll become thinner, or they'll like shrink back down depending on the pitch that you're singing to. Um, you're also because the air is passing through your airway, so you're passing through the airway. That's what's making them vibrate. So if they're hitting each other and vibrating because you're singing so much more that's why it's terrible for you to screech right you're hurting your vocal folds so the higher your note is you know the more your vocal folds are vibrating so 
in that sense, they're singing a lot. It's gonna like it's gonna be their vocal folds are gonna be impacted. So they could develop because of the friction and the vibrating. They could have nodules, just like you get a blister. Mm-hmm. Like if your shoe, like your skin on your foot is rubbing against your shoe the wrong way, right? You're gonna have a blister there. So it's kind of the same idea. Wow, I didn't know a lot of what we talked about today, and we do want to be cognizant <laughs> of your time, um, just because. All of a sudden, it'll be like an hour, and then the platforms we're using, we're like, we didn't record the last 15 minutes, and then generally the last 15 minutes are kind of like the most entertaining, so we'll we'll be mindful of that moving forward, but yeah, it's, there's so many things that we can really discuss, no pun intended, um, nah. just because there's... There's, we don't know anything. I mean, we. I didn't even know, like, you had to get certified to get certified to then prove that you're worthy of being certified by an organization through the state. Like, that's just incredible. Um, but so you mentioned a practice where you would work on your own. How would you even establish that? Like, do you just kind of say, like, yay me, like, just come see me direct and skip this and, like you can use your health insurance, I guess, to cover some of the costs and you can work with like different companies in that regard. But what is that process for you? I think Derek and I kind of chatted with about this at your wedding a little bit. So about the process of forming an LLC. So that's what I'm doing is forming an LLC. So in terms of a private practice, uh, you can bill insurance. I can do private pay. Uh, just depends what insurance will accept speech you know not every insurance takes right. you know will pay out for speech uh and you can you know let's say typically kids that are little that are having a hard time not meeting their communication like developmental milestones they'll go to their pediatrician first okay and then their pediatrician will refer them to a speech therapist and they'll be like okay like i can do that so i can you know go visit a doctor's office and say hey i'm providing speech services here's all my stuff like please refer kids to me that's just one example um i have had parents that i work with through my other job be like hey what's your private pay fee like tell me so if we want to have more services like we can just contract you and i'm like okay cool like you know so there's that there's word of mouth i've had people that i've grown up with that have kids now that have reached out to me even just for consults and just say hey like this is what my kid's doing like help me what do i do and i'll just say well you're not hiring me so here's what i would do and then i would refer them you know you should probably see your pediatrician if your child is only exhibiting this these things like that sounds like they need an evaluation um so it just it can come from anywhere, honestly. So this might be a, a dumb question, but <clears throat> when you're talking about therapy and the different types of therapy that are out there, you have like occupational therapy, you have uh, physical therapy, speech therapy, and all these different types of special specializations and people who specialize in all this stuff. We were talking to a dietitian uh, earlier this year, and her biggest, not complaint, but what she noticed a lot was that doctors prescribe medication to people instead of pushing them to her specialty which is let's understand your diet and fix it naturally rather than prescribing a medication to try to artificially fix it you don't have that issue correct like there's no medication that can help like if if i went into the doctor and i have my kid that is struggling with speech they're not going to say here's an adhd medication because that'll help your speech right or are you experiencing that same thing or no Ah, so the first part of your question is uh, there's no medication that 
can be prescribed to like help a speech okay. specifically. The second part of your question, you said ADHD. So that's speech and behavior. So I have seen, it depends on the age of the kid and the comfort level of the parent, but I have worked with kids that their ADHD has impacted them so much and they're not on medication that I can't do anything with them. Mm. Like I can barely work with them because they're all over the place um, or they're, you know, there's other things impacting them too. So it's like, listen, we, you know, it's hard to have that conversation with parents because you're like, I, it's been, you know, six months and he's really struggling. Like, let's see what the next step is because I cannot help your child if A, they like can't focus. So their attention span is so short. You know, there's no point in me trying to try strategies with them. So it really, the ADHD thing is, I think separate, but the same, because you have to control those behavior variables in order to be successful with working on those communication skills. So I don't think medication is always the answer. Some kids just need routine and a regular diet and a regular sleep schedule and, you know, like a safe environment and they're good. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on the kid, honestly, and what their environment looks like and what their need is. So do you feel, and this is a question from me, for me and everybody I grew up with, who you also know, (laughs) because you have experience with someone who does have ADHD, do you feel like there's a difference between a boy with a lot of energy and a boy with ADHD? Yeah. Because I I feel like there's a huge broad stroke of, oh, he's just, he's ADHD or he's ADD. It's like, or it's a free-for-all. The child has no structure and it's a boy who's like six and he's got so much energy he has no outlet and doesn't know what to do. So like, is that a parenting thing? Is it kind of a boy being a boy? Or is it really ADHD? And how can you kind of like... No. Oh, man. <laughs> I feel like that's a loaded question, too, right there. There's a lot to unpack there. So real quickly, I'll mention there's something called sensory processing disorder. Okay. So not every kid has sensory processing disorder. I'm just saying that term so you understand that if a kid is active and doesn't sit still and needs a lot of, like, input, I mean, each person knows what kind of input they like. So, for example, uh, some people like to be touched. Other people don't like to be touched. That tactile cues, they really need that in order to like stay calm and be focused. Um, They need that weighted blanket to help them. Or they need to, I have kids that I work with that if I give them a fidget toy, they can focus the entire time. As long as they're holding onto that fidget toy and they're doing something with their hands, they're good. Uh, so it's all those sensory needs that you have to account for as well. So I think it's really important to take a look at what you can do for your kid before saying, okay, I'm out of options. Maybe it really is ADHD that we need to control for so that he can be successful at home, at school, wherever he needs to go. Because, And you can also tell, like, if the 
if it is ADHD, if you want to tease it out, how bad is it impacting that child? Like if I give a kid a fidget spinner and they're good, like it might not be ADHD. It might just be they need something to occupy themselves so that they can keep their body calm and keep their brain focused. That's kind of a real quick answer to all of that. Sure. So I think sensory input is huge when you're looking at little kids to see what they need so that they can be successful. And then you just trial and error things. You know, some kid, like I said, some kids, you know, don't like cold drinks or won't eat certain textures of food. So you just, you know that you try to avoid those things and you just see how your kid responds to that. And I mean, it takes time, especially when they're little and they're struggling to communicate or they're just developing. So you kind of tease things out as you go and it takes time, which is hard for parents, I think, that yeah. have kids that have so many needs. So we've been talking a lot about how you help people get to a point where they're able to communicate. Is there a line where you draw, there's no more ability for us to improve your speech and we're just going to work to maintain it does that thought process ever come up yeah i think it comes up more so with adults mm -hmm. who are suffering from like parkinson's disease so or you know they've suffered like they're uh you know they're on quality of life care basically so you're just working with them to maintain the skills that they have because you're not going to see improvement because there's like their skills and their motor you know fine motor and physical skills are declining so you're just gonna kind of show up and do whatever you can for them for that day and you're just gonna maintain those skills and i that's kind of the same thought process for kids during the summer so when they leave school and they qualify for summer services you're just there to just kind of like maintain so they don't lose the skills that they learned and acquired all year before the school year starts so that they can continue the services that they had had during the school year again. What don't you do with kids? <laughs> I feel like I feel like you're working with everything from like the neck up. It's just it's wild how much you do and your profession does. And I didn't think anything of that outside of like sounds fixing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's wild. Is this what you always wanted to do, even in school and everything? Like growing up, you wanted to be a speech pathologist? No, I wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, which every kid does, basically. So uh, I think, I don't know. My English teacher, her when I was in high school, her daughter was a speech path. She's like, you should go do this. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go do that. And then I went through, I uh, did my bachelor's degree in three years. And then I waited and waited to get into grad school. And I will say like, I think anybody in their career, you love your career and then you kind of not love your career. And then you love your career and then you fall out of, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's not, I haven't always loved being a speech path, but within the last year or so, I've really felt like I've rediscovered what being a therapist actually is because it's hard when you're in a school you're a teacher and you're a therapist and then you kind of depending on who you're working with you lose the therapy part and you're more of a teacher part True. so and i always loved the therapy part of it so but therapy is teaching too so it's just a balance of what you are comfortable with and what you're knowledge about or where you want to challenge yourself to learn about 
a different area. Like, I don't know a whole lot about voice and vocal folds, but I know I can work with kids with language skills, like nothing, like it's easy for me. So it just depends. I mean, it seemed like you knew a lot about vocal folds and voice when we were asking you the questions, but so uh, what is your Instagram and why would people want to follow you? Because you post some pretty cool things on there, specifically your, your uh, therapy Instagram. So my therapy Instagram is West Speech Therapy, and you should follow me because I try very hard to help others with their kids that are struggling with communication skills and just making things really easy and practical for you to implement at home. That's awesome. And people can reach out to you through your Instagram to maybe get their kid involved with your practice, or how how does that introduction work? Yeah, so if you want to go to my Instagram page, my website is right there too. So you can just click on the link in my bio right to my website and you can contact me right through my website if you want. I love it. Awesome. That's streamlined. Well, Christina, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. I learned way too much. As soon as you started getting into the biological aspects of it, I'm like, I am gone right now. But thank you so much for everything. This was a wealth of knowledge and we hope that this interview can help some people get in touch with you to be able to help their kids because it's a really important aspect. Well, yeah. I mean, you want to, not just for your kid, but for people in the whole world, you want them to be able to communicate better. So just in any interest to help people in that aspect, for sure. So thanks you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Of course. We'll have a good rest of your night. All right. Bye. Bye. how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours excursions and more in one place there are over 300 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone and viator offers free cancellation and 24 7 customer support for worry-free travel download the viator app now and use code viator 10 for 10 percent off your first booking in the app find travel experiences for you do more with viator save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.